I forget now what it was that triggered this um, contemplation, but earlier today I found myself thinking about practice and the need to maintain a sense of balance in the approach that we make to practice and the effort that we make in practice. And that... Uh, how all this consideration of uh, a question of balance also fits very much with uh, the Buddha's teachings on the middle way. And in fact, I think it's fair enough to say that uh, the middle way could also be referred to as, as the, the balanced way, the way of balance. And And a useful contemplation in our in our daily life, in particular, um, how we engage our experience, how we respond to life, and and uh, this uh, memory, this this contemplation, took me to uh, thinking about uh, many years ago when I was travelling. I think I was twenty three years old at the time, and I had. I'd hitchhiked across the Australian, uh, well, up the west coast, up the east coast, and across the desert um, in Australia, and to uh, Darwin, and then caught the uh, the cheapest flight you could get in those days to what was uh, called Portuguese Timor, and these days is uh, East Timor. And as I remember, it's a long time ago now, but as I remember, I was. I was uh, camping out on a shelter on the beach in uh, Portuguese Timor and with, along with various other colourful characters. And uh, one of these colourful characters that I, I struck up a conversation with, he was, uh, struck me as a very interesting guy and he, I guess he was, he was probably somewhat older than me and more experienced in travelling and one way or another anyway, he was somebody that I, I had some, uh, I was sort of impressed by. And so we got into talking about uh, my having done a Buddhist meditation retreat and maybe uh, in Australia, maybe we even touched on the idea of my going to spend time in monasteries. I don't know at that stage whether I had aspirations for becoming a monk or not. I tend to think I was still um, hoping to end up in in Japan where I could uh, rub shoulders with uh, uh, Japanese monks and learn a little bit about meditation and a little bit about gardening at the same time. Uh, anyway, one way or another, this guy started to really give me the straight teachings on how most Buddhists have got it completely wrong, that uh, this idea of the Buddhist middle way 
just leads to mediocrity. And what you need to do is what the Buddha did, which was get really extreme. And uh, uh, again, I don't recall now um, what sort of extreme behaviors this guy was up to, but one way or another I wasn't convinced um, by his argument. And in fact, later on, uh, uh, once I became a little bit uh, more educated in the Buddha's teaching, I realized that that the Buddha, in fact, warned against uh, going to... uh, becoming too extreme and the extremes that he went to if you can recall in in the scriptures where it talks about how he he fasted himself to the point where he was so skinny that when he poked himself in where his stomach should be he could touch his backbone and his spine and and that's really going a bit too far and uh, various other practices that he did which he himself uh, would have said were a little bit too far or quite a bit too far. And um, so having come from a life of indulgence and luxury, which he said was going too far, and then swinging to the other extreme of a, a life of self-mortification, which he said was too far, too extreme, uh, he moderated his effort until he found this just the right amount. And so this just the right amount or this balanced amount of effort is is the thing to be aiming for. And now this doesn't mean that, of course, well, I say of course, but we need to be careful that we don't then perceive that the teachings are discouraging us from uh, intensity. Uh, there definitely is a place for intensity in practice. Uh, the middle way is not the mediocre way. Uh, the middle way is not to be understood as just, well, you know, not very much of anything. Uh, in fact, sometimes thinking about it as the balanced way might be a more useful way of, of appreciating it because there is the need for intensity from time to time. Uh, all the great teachers, uh, Ajahn Chah himself uh, was exemplary in, in uh, his uh, embracing intensity, virya, uh, in, in his practice. And and yet what's important about this is, what we need to understand is that the need for maintaining balance when we're engaging with intensity. Mm. Uh, an image that I have often used and enjoy is that of uh, having a really good motor car and uh, it can go really fast and uh, yet the wheels are not balanced. Uh, and you know what that's, you, well, you can imagine what that's like. Hopefully you don't know what that's like, but you can imagine what that's like. You know, say if you're in Germany on the Autobahn and you, know, you can really you know, lay some rubber, you can really move, and you've got a really nice car, and you've got a, a, just the most beautiful, newest Lotus, bright yellow, and you really just, but your wheels are not balanced? Well, what a pity. Because if you go past a certain speed, you can end up in the ditch. And so it is with with life, with practice, that if we want to build up some intensity, if we want to bring about precipitation, if we we want insight, if we want to learn something new, uh, we can't just settle for uh, a mediocre existence. There is a place for intensity but we need to learn, we need to find how can we 
how can we access intensity that accords with transformation, with real change, how can we do that and stay balanced? It's not, and so it's not to be afraid of intensity, as I was saying, Ajahn Chah, in his experiences, you probably uh, read or heard about his uh, experiences in, in the charnel grounds where, uh, unlike most of us, uh, he, was, he was terrified of ghosts. And probably most of us could walk around a graveyard, maybe even could camp out in a graveyard and not be terribly freaked by it. But for, for a Thai, the average Thai person, that's a real... That's a real challenge. And certainly uh, Ajahn Chah had a very deep, strong conditioning uh, of terror around ghosts. And so he decided that this was a limitation in his practice, this was a weakness, and so he wanted to confront it. He didn't want to uh, be ruled by his, um, his, these limitations. And, but it was, he felt it was more than he could handle. And so the absolute excruciating terror that he went through and deciding to sit with it all night uh, until he could see if he could find the way beyond it. And, and uh, so not shying away from intensity, sometimes bringing it on. You know, again, Ajahn Chah, you may have read of his experience of where he decided he wanted solitary, solitude and so he didn't want to go on arms round. And he would just go and live on the top of a mountain you know, for a period of time on his own. And... And so it's not shying away from intensity, it's learning how to, how to work with it. And it might be intensity that you bring on by going on retreat, putting yourself under some intentional pressure, or it might just be the, the uh, intensity that life brings us. You know, sometimes life just brings us intensity that we, we're not looking for and maybe don't even want. Talking with uh, Ajahn Sumato about his early years. Uh, I, again, my memory fails me. I don't remember if it was the early years of Wat Nana Chat or the early years in London. I, I tend to think it was his early years in London where he was living in a little, uh, little um, kind of uh, very small room at the back of, of uh, the townhouse they had in, on Haverstock Hill and, and Hampstead in London. And or even wherever it was, he he was uh, he was under a lot of pressure. He was he was new at this business of being abbot, and he hadn't been to abbot college anywhere. He didn't really know what doing abbot was about, and and he had lots of people around telling him how he was getting it all wrong. All sorts of characters telling him you should do this, you should do that. You got this wrong, you got that wrong, and and he really felt out of his depth, and he. He said how sometimes at the end of the day he would just go back to his room and lean against the wall and burst into tears and just cry. And, but not, there's a difference between crying and indulging and getting lost in sadness and uh, whereby you can bring a quality of attention which means you can embrace the sadness and let that generate intensity. And so do we know how to do we know how to work with intensity or not? Do we know how to stay balanced? And do we have the, do we have a view that uh, conduces with our engaging intensity in a skillful way, or are our views of a nature whereby we end when things start to build up and get intense? 
we said, oh, something's going wrong here. It may be intensity manifesting as a lot of energy. It may be intensity manifesting as a lot of emotion. It may be intensity manifesting physically. But to have a view which accords with our being able to engage intensity uh, without losing balance. That uh, that point of practice, that that uh, that point of experience that Ajahn Chah uh, wrote to Ajahn Sumato about. And again, you may well have come across it, where it's been printed in several places. Where he was new at Chithurst, and they survived London, survived Haverstock Hill, and moved to Chithurst. And and there's all sorts of stuff going on there. All sorts of lay people telling him how he's getting everything wrong, and and the junior monks coming and wanting to change things and and the nuns wanting to join the community and and all sorts of issues with dealing with this great big tumble down house full of dry rot and and all the problems that came with that and Ajahn Shah wrote a letter to him and he said well you know Sumato that when you reach the point where you feel you just can't go forward anymore but you also can't go back and you can't stand still then you really learn something very useful. Well, that's a good expression for intensity, I would have thought. Where you reach the point, you can't go forward. We all love progressing. We just love getting better and stronger and more able and more wise and more compassionate and everything like that. But where you can't go forward anymore and you can't go back and you can't stand still. So how do we prepare ourselves for uh, intensity when it comes to us, um, whether it's been intentionally motivated or, or whether it's something that's spontaneously arisen. How do we prepare ourselves? And I, I think this is, uh, is a wise contemplation, something worth intentionally thinking about and how we might prepare ourselves for it and, and train so that uh, we can maximise on it and, so, for instance, in the area of, of speech, how do you know the right amount of speech? Maybe you could just, I'm not going to speak anymore. Well, that's too extreme. So, or, well, I'll just say whatever comes in my, into my head and I'll open my mouth and let it come out. And there are some teachings around which, which uh, if you grasp in the wrong way, they can give you the impression that you don't have to exercise any restraint I believe in spontaneity. I want to be spontaneous. I'm an artist. <laughs> and just open my mouth and whatever comes out is okay. Well, I think the Buddha would say that's also, that's another extreme. That's not it either. With making right effort, I mean, you, can, you, can, uh, you can try and be perfect, which is the, the idealistic, naive personality wants to get it right from the beginning. But in my own practice, I think, uh, I think of right effort as being the effort whereby you feel you're doing what you can to get it right, but you're willing to learn from getting it wrong. And I think that's right effort. That's my right effort. If I try to be perfect, I just mess it up all over the place. That's an extreme, trying to be perfect. Not trying at all, that's another extreme. But to just try as we can to get it right 
and then be willing to learn from getting it wrong. And so with speech, yeah, it's, it's right to exercise restraint. But if we get too uptight, too afraid of saying anything, well, that's not it either. So if we go find we go off too extreme one way, we can move back the other way. It's the same with, with uh, eating. How do you know the right amount of eating? Mm. We probably all know what it's like to eat too much. That's um, being on retreat. <laughs> I probably don't have to go on retreat. Everybody knows what it's like to eat too much. You know, too much yummy food in front of you and you eat too much. How do you know the right amount? You say, well, one way of finding out the right amount is to don't give yourself as much as you want. Mm. Now, if we're really interested in finding the right amount, we don't have to go to the extremes of intense fasting, like the Buddha did fast intensely, but he said, no, that's too much. Now, one way, for in the monastic community, we, we fast from midday until breakfast every day. And for householders, it's also encouraged that at least once a month, traditionally on full moon day, to observe the eight precepts, and so likewise to not eat in the evening. Or maybe on the new moon and the full moon, so twice a month, or maybe four times a month on the waxing and waning moon as well. Uh, however we want to pitch it. What's the right amount for us? We can be looking at other people and we can be impressed by their right amount, and, but that may not be the right amount for us. Yeah. Yeah, maybe somebody else's austerity, somebody else's renunciation may be too much for us. Yeah. Maybe else's, somebody, somebody else's car's wheels are balanced and they can drive fast, but that doesn't mean to say that our wheels are balanced and we can drive fast. So, so we have to know for ourselves... If we're too extreme, then we're maybe going to get it terribly wrong. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Making, trying too hard to be perfect. Yeah. So allowing ourselves to learn from our mistakes. And, and with speech, the right amount to talk. You know, sometimes what's called for in communication with people is to stop talking and listen. Yeah. If we're caught up in talking all the time, and we don't know how to actually what the per- we don't actually recognize it really what this person needs really what this person is asking for is to be heard to be listened to mm-hmm. although i suppose of course we could go off on that extreme as well when what somebody really needs is some some help they need some guidance but again we 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 can uh, make effort to find balance in this area by learning from our mistakes when we don't get it right, to all oh, right, okay, I was out of balance there. All oh, right, that's what it feels like. Oh yeah, that's that feeling. Of, oh, that's out of balance. Right? To really, and not to rush to feel good again. Say no, no, that's the feeling going out of balance. Right? And that that awareness of what the feeling of out of balance is like can help bring us back to balance. And uh, and with eating, you can get very extreme with all sorts of diets. You know, I know when I was younger, I was trying this and trying that and and uh, finding out, should I be macrobiotic or should I be vegetarian? And Well, how do you train yourself with these things? Well, like if you don't train yourself, well, you can just stuff anything into your mouth, anything that somebody puts in front of you. That's one extreme. You, know, you end up stuffing yourself with all sorts of chemicals and filling yourself with high fructose corn syrup and and getting fat and 
wondering why and well, you're not paying proper attention to what the ingredients is. Well, the other extreme, of course, you can be so busy reading all the ingredients and you can get neurotically obsessed with it. Should I be vegetarian? Should I, or should I eat dead animals? Well, one can philosophize about it, and but also you can educate yourself, give yourself some more data. And for instance, you can go to an abattoir. I think meat eaters should all go to visit the abattoir and have the experience of of what they're supporting by eating meat. And you say, what's it? Not not just looking on YouTube. That doesn't give you the experience, like the sounds and the smells that that come when you're in an abattoir and the expression on the face of the people who are doing the killing to actually really get that experience and say, well, what does that feel like? And, and then say, how do, you, how do I feel about eating meat? So this kind of bringing this awareness to one's experience and feeling when we're going out of balance and when we're there when we are in balance and say, well, this feels balanced with all my commitment to integrity, my interest in insight, my interest in getting it right, my interest in being a, a true disciple of the Buddha, you know, from this perspective, this feels balanced. You know. And to be willing to learn as we go along. With meditation, uh, likewise also, the, the, uh, it's very easy to go off in extremes. And, uh, you know, sometimes we come to practice feeling not very confident and that somebody else has got all the answers. And so... One extreme could be, you know, just letting somebody else tell us what to do all the time, but not really listening to how it's affecting us. There's so many meditation techniques around these days. You can uh, read books, go on the internet, and go on courses, retreats, seminars, and 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 learn so many different approaches to meditation. And if we're a bit uh, just a little bit idealistic, then we can think again, there's got to be the perfect technique. You know, there's got to be a perfect technique and who's got the perfect technique? And, and we can spend all our time trying to get the perfect technique and then trying to perfect the perfect technique. You know, we're grasping at an ideal. That's an extreme. Or to grasp even at the ideal that we don't have to have any techniques, that's another extreme. You know, some of these Advaita Vedanta Teachings, if you grasp those, you can feel, oh, I don't have to do anything. Any effort I make is going to be wrong effort. Well, to some degree, that might be true, <laughs> to some degree, from a certain perspective. But the chances are we're not in that right perspective most of the time. And so, again, you know, the, the kind of effort that we make with regards to meditation techniques, you know, the, to learn from trying and then finding, when we go to balance, what does it feel like? When the, when the wheels start to wobble, all oh right, actually, I'm going too fast right now. For this car, with this degree of balance, I'm going too fast. Slow down, pull back. Yeah. And, um, shortly after I finish speaking, as we do on Saturday evening, we're, we'll recite the, the Buddhist teachings on loving kindness, the Karani Metta Sutta, and there's a record of that in the scriptures of, of a young monk who, he was overly idealistic. He was a little inflated. He thought he knew better than the Buddha. And so he was going to go out and put himself under some intensity and probably, I don't know what, you know, crack it, get into some, some serious insights. And, and the Buddha warned him against it, but he didn't want to heed that advice. And so off he went and, and uh, 
as a result, he uh, he freaked out terribly and and came back and the, the Buddha gave him some advice and said, rather your approach to practice is not right balanced. You know the kind of effort you're making that's not it. So, in your case, what you need to be doing right now is cultivating a heart of loving kindness. So, so I don't know whether the uh, record tells us what uh, that young monk was practicing, what he was doing, but whatever he was doing was throwing him out of balance. And and so what the Buddha gave him to bring him back to balance was a meditation on the heart of loving kindness. And so, for instance, if our meditation uh, is overcome with fear, if we're idealistic and and excessively zealous, we we can we got to crack this fear, we got to overcome this fear, we got to really get there. And you know, the Buddha said, when fear comes up while you're walking, just keep walking until the fear is gone. And the Buddha said this, and the Buddha said that. Well, you can twist the Buddha's teachings to compound your neurosis all day long. That you know anybody can do that. But if we remember that when we lose balance, we lose perspective, and the chances are we're not going to be um, developing towards a deepening of insight. And so sometimes what's called for is to let go of grasping at this extreme effort we've made to conquer our kilesas and overcome our delusions and strive on towards the goal of Nibbāna. Sometimes what's called for is a settling back into a willing receptivity of this ghastly feeling of utter failure and hopelessness that I'm suffering from and receive it. Receive it. Can this, this body's got all sorts of information. There's all sorts of data we can get from outside, all sorts of data we can get from inside that can inform our movement towards balance. If we're not in touch with our body, then perhaps we're missing some of the information. So perhaps it's screaming out at us, relax, you know. (laughs) Just relax, take it easy. This gesture of, of letting go of striving maybe it triggers the fear well I'm going to be wasting my life I'm not getting anywhere in practice and and I put so much into this meditation technique I can't let go you know, well you know, just listen to that screaming voice listen to that screaming voice you know. stop attacking it and telling it what to do just listen to it and, and in the listening to it and receiving it maybe actually we find that this whole body-mind starts to relax and and it feels more like balance to let go of striving for right now. We can't be striving all the time. There is a time for striving. There's also a time for yielding. I think you you probably heard me talk before about that very nice uh, qigong or tai chi exercise of, of pushing hands where two people are facing each other and one person's hand is going open and forward and then turning and coming back and is maintaining the touching hands and and to do that with an embodied awareness is that there's the assertive effort and then there's the yielding effort to learn this in an embodied way Uh, so that when the time for really being assertive is called for we say right we give ourselves to it we generate intensity we lean into it we lean into the grindstone and sharpen our sword when it's time for pulling back, you know, when we get the message, oh, it's time for pulling back. You know, that's a good image. You know, sharpening your sword on the grindstone. Well, you know, if you lean too hard against the grindstone, you you grind your sword away. You know, of course, we hear it. We're talking about the sword of wisdom. Or you know? well, maybe you can talk about you know sharpening your pocket knife. You know? 
you know, sharpening your pocket knife. You've got a useful tool for when you go camping. And if you lean into the grindstone too hard, you know, well, you grind the blade away completely. And, and what might have been a nice Swiss army knife now becomes just a, a useless bit of metal. And so there's a time for leaning in, there's a time for pulling back until you get that just the right amount. How do we learn that? In the whole body-mind. And so this is it, I, I would suggest, that, that uh, if we appreciate the balanced way, yeah. the need for a balanced approach, and the need to train ourselves with an awareness for maintaining balance, uh, so that we can ourselves generate intensity when it's called for, and also we can handle intensity when it comes to us. And so we don't misperceive intensity. We don't say, oh, it's all going wrong. It might feel like it's all going wrong. It might feel like it's all falling apart. As uh, Venerable Miyakyoni once told me, uh, when it's the right thing, when it's the real thing, it feels like too much too soon. So if we haven't trained ourselves with an awareness of what it feels like to be balanced in our effort, then there's a chance we'll, feel, we'll fall for those stories of it's too much and it's too soon and we might miss a very precious opportunity. So the kind of awareness that we're talking about, of course it's not just a common and garden variety awareness, this is an informed awareness. This is a here and now awareness, not an awareness that's just lost in the past and, and all the memories. It's not an awareness that's lost in the future and all the fantasies, but it can see it's able or willing to say, oh, that's memory. Here and now, recognizing memory. Here and now, recognizing fantasy. That's future, that's fantasy. Here and now. Whole body mind, as I was saying. Really being willing to get the information, to receive the information that the body's giving us. And meditation, if we approach it in the wrong way, we think it's a mental exercise. You know, often you read the books and it talks about mind training and we all know the Buddha talked a lot about uh, what we call mindfulness. You know, let's be fully up in our minds, <laughs> which we think is our heads. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a serious mistake. You know, but because that's probably the place where we're most capable, the kind of education we had uh, really emphasized being identified with our mental capacities. And so... We feel confident uh, some of the time up in our heads. We certainly feel identified being up in our heads. But we can be missing a whole lot of information, a whole lot of, of uh, uh, data that's there to factor in. Uh, can be coming to us from our body, from our guts, from our heart, from our shoulders, from our jaw. You know, where are we resisting? Where are we holding? But of course, not just the body, but also the mind, the the ability to reflect on the past, to remember the past and to extrapolate into the future and to learn from the past and prepare for the future. So this whole body-mind, here and now, judgment-free awareness. And so this is the kind of awareness that, that um, we need to be working with if we're preparing ourselves for, for recognizing when we go in and out of balance, learning from when we go out of balance, feeling our way to come back to a balanced receptivity of this experience, this moment, here and now, yeah. and to really learn from it. Yeah. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.
Sadhu <laughs> 